Welcome to the Connect Community Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. We're so glad to have you with us today. If you're ever in our area, come see us in person. We hope today's message inspires you and helps you live better. We're starting a new series titled Moving Mountains. Um, because it's a new year, and it's, I, f- I feel like it's really important for us to take advantage of the fact that it is a new year. There's a mindset of newness all across, right? A mindset of renewal. And without prejudice, without cynicism, I think it's important for us to embrace this time. A time of change. A time for us to improve. A time for us to grow. A time for us to set goals. Because you can come into the new year and go like, meh, it's just another weekend. Just another day. Really, the sun just rose and set, and we just decided it is a new year. So, But it's important for us to change our mindset and think, you know what? This is a moment. This is a moment I can take steps to grow and to move in the right direction. This is a moment that can be a new beginning in my life. And according to studies, this time of the year is the time where most people set goals and achieve it. Now, it is true that, in general, by the end of the month, a lot of the goals are abandoned. But did you know that about 64% of the goals remain? And it's the highest rate of people sticking through their new goals that you ever uh, see across the year. The new year is the time. In fact, at Google, they did a, they did a little search uh, uh, on, on what people are looking for on Google at the beginning of the year. And the word diet, the search for the word diet grows by 84% during this time of year. Because everybody wants to get healthier, to, to feel better this new year, right? So instead of dieting, just fast with us, right? Just join us in the fast. New Year goals, they do help you toward progress because really your life is what you make of it, right? Now it's, of course, there are things that go beyond your control. There are things that you're dealing with right now that you didn't invite, you didn't make a decision for it, right? Decision your parents made maybe before you were born that impacted you or if, 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 we were, if you would have been born at a time of war or a different season, a different era, there were things, there would have been things that we would have to deal with Uh, that are beyond our control. But as far as it depends on you, as far as it depends on your faith, your outlook, there's a way for you to break curses of the past. There's a way for you to move beyond your bad habits, your, your, your thought patterns and difficulties that might seem unsurmountable. And so that's why we're starting this series titled Moving Mountains because I believe, we believe that there are mountains in your life right now that need to move. There are things in your life that need to move. Maybe there are obstacles. Maybe there are challenges. Maybe there are dreams that are so big, goals that are so big, you don't know how to achieve. You don't know. They are too big for your abilities. They are too great for your capacity. They are goals that go beyond your understanding right now and so whether they're good or they're bad there are things that need to be moved they need to be conquered things that need to be healed in your life transformed and these are the mountains that we're talking about these are the mountains that we believe god wants to help you move he wants to move 
say, J.D., I've, I've been there. I've, I've tried. I've tried to move this mountain, climb this mountain, walk around this mountain, try to forget this mountain. I've been here before. I've, I've tried to conquer this. I've tried to change this situation, but it's gotten me nowhere. You know, there's a story in scriptures that we're going to highlight today that provoked a response from Jesus, which is the reason why we have this series title. It provoked a response from Jesus that, that we're going to focus on this entire month. Let's go to Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 through 20. This is the story. When they came to the crowd, meaning Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus' disciples, a man came up, came up to, to, to Jesus, kneeling before him and said, Lord, have mercy of my, on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, Sweet words from Jesus. Oh, faithless and twisted generation. How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately, after it was all said and done, and said, Why could we, why, why could, could we not cast that demon out? And he said, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing, nothing will be impossible to you. Wow. The idea of faith in our day has been twisted. Faith has become synonymous with Believing for the best. Faith has become a vote of confidence. You look at somebody and you say, I have faith on you, man. I have faith in you, girl. I got faith in you. You got to have faith. Faith, faith, faith. You guys are too young for that one, huh? Jesus. But biblical faith does not equal to best wishes. See, the word faith means to have such trust and such belief in God that you lean your whole self, you lean your personality, and you lean yourself on Him. Faith is really a mode of surrender. Faith is a mode of you giving yourself over to God. You intentionally frame your expectation, you frame your emotion, you frame your outlook after His way because you completely trust Him. That's why blind faith is not good faith because faith has some prerequisites. Hebrews 11.6, very well-known passage, says this, And without faith it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. In other words, in a moment, in a season in your life, there's something about God that is revealed to you. There's something about God that catches your eye, and that's the draw. 
that's when you have the chance to either have faith or to doubt. Have you ever been in a situation like that? That's how it happens. In fact, Jesus' life was a living example of it. There was always an act. There was always a demonstration preceding people's faith. There was always something that happened that people could see so that they could grow or, or, or choose to have faith. And typically, the same thing that fills you with faith could fill you with doubt. Right? The same thing that could give you an opportunity to have faith could give you an opportunity to have doubt. I'll give you an example. If I came up to you and I said, I was miraculously healed. You could have two reactions. One would be like, really? And another would be like, really? Really? Because something amazing, something unbelievable can either inspire you to have faith or to the same degree you can say, hmm, I don't know about that. And in our generation, if you doubt, you're smart. You don't have to know anything. You just have to say, ah, I don't know about that. Hey, did you know that uh, the Empire State Building can fit this, 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 and that, and the other? Ah, I don't know about that. If you say that with a little bit of confidence, you go like, oh, really? You must know something that I don't. And so we need to fight this tension between faith and doubt because in our generation, you're, you're invited to doubt. You can say, how about the first miracle? The first, very first miracle that Jesus performed. What, was, what drew people's faith to that? Well, you got to remember, Jesus had a predecessor. John the Baptist, who came preaching, baptizing people. And when he saw Jesus come to the river, Jordan, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in that moment, people had a chance. Oh, really? This is the Lamb of God? Something somebody from Nazareth? <laughs> or they could open their hearts and say, Wow. I believe. Faith is not blind. Faith is choosing to believe that God exists. That's what Hebrews is saying. And that he is a rewarder of those who seek after him. And it's based on what we see in our spirit. With our spiritual eyes. And faith grows in a heart that is open to know God. And that is open to trust God. See, biblical faith has this central focus and this central foundation. Now, in that encounter that Jesus had with his disciples and the man and the, and the son, when Jesus called them a faithless and twisted generation, you know, he wasn't talking to, he wasn't complaining. He wasn't talking to the whole crowd and going like, you were a bunch of faithless and twisted people cursing them out and throwing a fit. Something was happening there. Have you ever had an apprentice, some, someone that you're teaching, maybe a child or a nephew or a niece or maybe you're a teacher in school or maybe somebody at work that you're managing, someone that you lead in your division, in your place of work, 
and you're teaching them a skill and a task and you have to go over and over and over and over the same thing because they're trying and they're trying and they're trying and they're trying and they're not getting it and you know they're not getting it because they're doing it their way and you're showing them how to do it but they're not doing it your way they're doing it some other way because they want to be unique or whatever motivation and it gets to a point where you're like just give it to me come on let, let me I, I'm just going to do it myself and show you how to do this that's that's what's happening here Jesus strong words they, they were a diagnosis he was telling him what was happening there was a reason why they, th- this was recorded this was a reason there's a reason why Matthew wrote this down because it's what we tend to do like the disciples, many, of, many times we try to operate in the name of God. And it leads to nothing. We try to function and, and operate and do the things. And the apparent result is that it didn't work. And you can say, I tried, but it didn't work out. I prayed and nothing changed. I followed the prescription. I, I followed the methodology. I did what was done and nothing happened i said the hail marys and the our fathers i did all that but it didn't work have you ever been there so you got to see that the disciples they walked with jesus they saw him perform miracles they saw him cast out demons they saw him and they thought if we repeat the method if we repeat what jesus did we will get the same results so let's do exactly what he did, what, what he did and see what happens. And with, in one simple sentence, Jesus diagnoses the problem and gives the solution. You are faithless and you're twisted. You're faithless and you're twisted. In other words, before you can do like me, you got to be like me. Before you can do what I do, you got to be like me. That's why when he called them faithless and twisted, he wasn't talking to the kid. He wasn't talking to the dad. He wasn't talking to the crowd. He was talking to the people who were following him, those who, who, who decided to follow him and live like him. He was talking to his followers. They were actively attempting to manifest the power of God, but they couldn't. They couldn't see it happen. In other words, Jesus was saying, you shouldn't need me for this. You have been with me long enough. You have walked with me long enough. You know me. And you've known how I live. You should be the solution to this boy. You should be the light of the world. You should be the person who prays and this mountain gets moved. But you're faithless. And you're twisted. And that's why you can't do it. Now, this is a profound interaction. And it's a common misconception that we have, that we've interpreted from this scripture, is to think that the problem was the amount of faith and not the kind of faith. See, because Jesus, Jesus said, it's your little faith. So because Jesus said it's a little faith, the, the, the quickest conclusion we can have is, oh, so they just needed more faith. The faith was little, so, so they just needed more faith. But that's not really what Jesus is saying. See, the word for little faith there, it's a modifier to the word faith. That really means like 
you, you barely have faith. Like, you haven't given yourself over to faith. It's not a quantity thing. It's a purity thing. It's not a quantity. It's more like uh, your faith is mangled up with other things. You kind of have faith. You kind of, you haven't gotten yourself, you haven't given yourself over to faith. And we can wrongly think that the size of the miracle depends on the size of faith. Big faith, big miracle. Little faith, little miracle. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He actually debunks it. Because this is what Jesus actually said. He said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. So how can Jesus say in the same sentence, your problem is that you have a faith that is too little, but if you have faith this size, sounds like he's contradicting himself, right? How can you say in the same breath, Jesus, that my faith is too little, and then call me to have a faith the size of a mustard seed? I don't get it. Because he's saying, no, no, it's not that it's little in quantity. It's that your faith is mangled up with the ways of the world. It's twisted. Jesus is using an example of the smallest thing, a mustard seed, and the biggest thing they can see. He's giving a picture here. And he's saying, listen, the smallest faith can have the biggest impact. The smallest faith can move mountains. In other words, the size of your faith does not have to match the size of your problem. The question is not how big is your faith. The question is how pure is your faith? How pure is your faith? Is your faith untwisted by the patterns and paradigms of the world? Or is your faith contaminated by TikTok dances? I'm just kidding. Do you have full trust and confidence in God? Because you can be like me, someone who grew up in church, third generation in church. My grandfather was a pastor. My dad is a pastor. I'm a pastor. It's like, all right, I, I have a multi-generational right, experience or exposure to this kind of life. And you might say, wow, you should have a big faith. That doesn't matter. Because you can come in here today, and this might be your first experience with God ever. And you might say that, comparative to some of our friends who, are, who are, have been at this for years, you might say, my faith is this little. How can I offer anything to God? And he's saying, yes, it's okay. You can have a, a mustard seed size faith. Is it pure? Is it fully devoted to God? Are you trusting Him fully? Because faith that looks like the world is not faith at all. It's just wishful thinking. It doesn't change you. Faith that looks like the world, have faith in you, God. It doesn't really affect your life. See, for a long time, faith has been misunderstood. It's been seen as this device, this tool that you can use to get things that you want. To get things done to change situations change circumstances but faith that moves mountains has to first move you it has to first move us 
And it has to change our patterns. It has to change our priorities. It causes us to let go of the things that we don't want to let go. It leads us into paths of righteousness for his name's sake, as we confessed earlier. So I want to show you a faith, uh, how faith affects you. But before I do, we need to get on the same page. So like I said, I have some slides for you today. And, uh, and we're, going, we're going to go through them together. So uh, first, we need to get on the same page with the structure of our being. So you can show the first slide. You need to know who you are. And this is basic, uh, basic theological view of the structure of your being, who you are. And it's very simple. You are a, a trinity within yourself. You have three, three parts. You are a spirit. You have a soul and you live in a body. Can you say that? Say, I am spirit, I have a soul, and I live in a body. Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You are spirit. You have a soul. Scripture says, Jesus said also, what is good for someone to be, to, for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? You have a soul, and you live in a body. Ecclesiastes says, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. At some point, you will stop breathing. That's the assurance of life on earth. At some point, your body will give up. But that doesn't mean your life ends, because you are spirit. And the life that embodies your spirit, the life that moves through, came from the breath of God. And that's how you exist on earth. So you are three in one. Can you look at somebody and say, I'm a trinity. I'm trinity. Hi, I'm trinity. <laughs> See, you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. And that's how God created us. Next slide, please. That's your life, your innermost part is your spirit. That's the, the most intimate part of you. And that's God's dwelling. It exists for God's dwelling and God's dwelling alone. And, and, and then you have your soul. That's the non-physical you, the part of you that nobody sees. And then you have your body. That's how you move in the world, how you experience the world. Uh, and, and it's, it's amazing, right? Next slide. What happened when sin entered the world? I just had space for an SP right there. That means that's a dead spirit. When sin entered the world, your spirit died. Scripture says that we are dead in our trespasses and in our sin. And this is, this is, this is what Scripture explains to us. Our spirit, the part of us that belongs to God, that's God's dwelling, it's dead and empty because of sin because only God can live there that's why when you don't have an active relationship with God when you're not in pursuit of a relationship with God it feels like there's something missing right it feels like it, you don't feel yourself you don't feel like yourself you don't feel like you're complete you know that song there's a God-shaped hole in all of us I'm, I'm quoting all the songs you don't know today there is a God-shaped hole involved in all of it. That's your spirit. Okay? Next slide. So someone with a dead spirit, they still experience the world. But you experience the world through your natural uh, abilities. We're limited to the natural portals of the body. 
Uh, your touch, hearing, sight, taste, smell. That's how you receive and experience the world, right? Of course, there's more to it. There's your speech or mobility. But as far as receiving information, this is how you experience the world. It takes, if you take away the five senses from somebody, that person is as good as dead, right? Imagine someone who cannot see, taste, touch, hear, or smell. That person is what we call a, a vegetable, right? So next, next slide. So the, in, in the realm of the soul, it, it, everything flows from these three parts. Your emotions, your mind, and your will. And so we use our bodies and our senses to experience the world, and we experience, you can with your soul, experience beauty and wonder. In the world, you can experience amazing things, but it's, it's all in the realm of the soul. You can also experience pain, suffering, and all sorts of things as, as, a, as a person in this realm. But, but your spirit is still dead. And you still feel like there's something missing. And here's a problem with a, a person who lives like this because before long, even though you might have natural virtues, even though there might be a, a sense of knowledge of good and evil in you, right? Like the scriptures ex explains. Good and evil is defined by you and you alone because you don't have any outside source. You don't have God in your heart. So good and evil is defined by you and you alone. And this is what happens before long. Next slide. Self begins to reign and replaces because you have that, that gaping void in your soul and you fulfill it. You fulfill it with what? With self. Self is enthroned in our in our being in our heart and because there's no god there's no other way of life you have to live for self so every everything becomes self right your interests become self-interest your righteousness becomes self-righteousness your love becomes self-love and this is the beginning of our problems i'm telling you guys this is where mountains are made this is where hills, molehills become big. Because there's only one fate when self begins to be enthroned. When self rules, the, the sinful nature begins to bear fruit. And sin takes the throne along with self. See, we can't separate self from sin. We can't do it. They're, they're intertwined. And that's what the story of Genesis really tells us. Uh, uh, the story of Genesis is not just an account of Adam and Eve. It's an, it's an archetype of every single one of us. And we experience that in multiple ways. Another way that we experience the story of Genesis is in how you were born. You were born a child, an innocent child. And everyone who has a kid here or a baby knows your child is innocent. That's the paradise stage. Everything is beautiful. Everything is amazing. Everything is awesome. You're in paradise. It doesn't matter if you're wealthy or not. Uh, when I was growing up and I was little, I remember I have memories of being like three, four years old. And my parents didn't really have money. My dad had just started his ice cream company. As I grew up with ice cream every day. It's true. Uh, glory to God. <laughs> And, and my, but my dad had just started. And I remember, he, he didn't have a lot of money for us to have toys and things. So we had those cassette tapes. Another thing you don't remember and you don't know. 
but we had cassette tapes at the house because you know my dad was a preacher and he would gather cassette tapes from all over and we would build my brothers and i we would build like roadways with the cassette tapes and the cassette tapes would be our toys or cars we didn't care it was awesome it was paradise give me a cassette tape and i'll build a world for you right that's the heart of a child that's the paradise stage but at some point you enter what's called the age of accountability where is the age where you begin to to become aware of the fact that you are no longer innocent and every one of us in this room except for a couple have gone through that your conscience and it happens between the ages of 10 or 13 maybe less maybe more nowadays but your conscience crosses that that bridge and that's when the knowledge of good and evil turns on and sin begins to bear fruit and it always starts with a lie that's why the devil is called the father of lies if you trace back all the way to your those first moments it always starts with a lie and out of that everything because that was that was the seed that's what genesis is telling us the serpent came and lied and so we we start there and in that moment sin begins to bear fruit and this is what happens to your soul this is what happens to your soul when self and sin begin to rule all of these things begin to warp your soul out of shape and your mind and your emotions and your will have to deal with all of these things anxiety greed fear lust envy jealousy gluttony anger all of these things and others begin to take shape and deform that's why jesus said that they were a twisted generation they were not living as god intended for them to to live but sin had twisted their being this is the product of a warped soul in a dead in a, in, a, in a person whose spirit are dead and who where sin is fruitifying and multiplying there are opportunities for sin now notice there's still an idea of god every person walking around in this state has an idea of god and they might even say that they don't believe in god but the idea of God they have does not come from God. It comes from their experience in a twisted and warped soul. Because you can't say you don't believe in something that you cannot describe. You can't say you don't believe in God unless you have an idea of God. And the problem is that they believe that that idea of God is true. Oh, God is prone to evil god is far god is mean god is distant god forgot my family god turned his back on me god is out to get us god doesn't care i don't believe in god but that idea of god is not given to us by god himself as i said it is given to us by sin remember what the serpent did no you're not gonna you're not gonna die this sin warps our view of god And we eat of that forbidden fruit and we hide from God. And this is a picture of a faithless and twisted generation. Good people. People trying to do good. People that you know. People that you love. Who are battling 
and, and dealing with things in their soul. And then you come to somebody like this and you talk about faith. You talk about worship. They say, man, I got too much to carry. I'm dealing with so much right now. I don't even know where to begin. But here's the problem. The only solution for a person like that lies in the realm of the soul. And the only way that they can try to tackle it is through natural experiences, through their body, through their senses. There's no other source because you're still living under the dominion of self and sin. And that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came to the world to save us from that kind of life. When we surrender and respond to God's invitation and we choose faith and we don't choose doubt, and we trust God, and we actively pursue His way and His will, this happens. The life of God revives our spirit and begins to put everything in order. It begins to burst through, and the life of God uh, appears in us, and sin no longer has dominion. Next slide. And when the life of God begins to reign, it, we begin to live, now we begin to live from inside out. We don't live from our external senses trying to grasp at things that exist outside of us, but there's a life on the inside that begins to flow with rivers of living water as Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman. And out of that river, everything in our soul begins to gain order. Now we don't live for greed. We don't live for uh, the works of sin anymore. We don't live for lust and our vices. But we begin to experience in our mind and our emotions and our will the truth of God, the love of God, faith, peace, purpose, freedom, joy, grace, and other things like these because our life begins to be governed and guided by God from the inside out it's a transformation and we no longer think about what we shouldn't think about the thoughts may come but we don't give ourselves to it we're no longer controlled by the things of sin anger jealousy and gluttony and lust and greed like i said those are works of sin we might be tempted by them but we're not controlled by them there's a big difference and we don't use our bodies the same way. Before, we used our bodies for our own vices, for our, our, our cravings, for our lust and our sinful nature. And now, we use our bodies to satisfy the will of God. Like the Apostle Paul wrote, we carry in our bodies the mark, the mark of Christ. And all of this, all of this happens by faith. All of this happens when we choose faith. And this is the primary reason Jesus came for. Jesus didn't come and die on the cross to give you a raise. He didn't die on the cross to give you a promotion at work, give you a house. Does he want to bless you? Of course he wants to bless you. He wants to restore your soul. He wants to give life to your spirit. He wants to pull you away from a twisted and, 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 and from a faithless life. So that he can use you on earth to the best of your ability. So he can show the world what it is like through you. What it is like to serve him. And make you an example of what it is like to be a child of God. So yes, he will increase you. Yes, he will, he will cause you to 
be fruitful. But a faith that moves mountains has to first move you. Remember. So how do you begin to move mountains? And this is where my message really starts. I'm just kidding. Worship team, you can come up. You need the kind of faith that causes you to surrender. And this is how it happens. I have one more scripture, and I'm going to close with this scripture. You have a part in this process. Thessalonians, Paul is writing to the church, and he's giving, he's kind of closing his letter, and he begins to give some counseling to the church that, that he leads one of the churches that he oversees. And he says this, Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 and 24. He says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. You know, he's not just talking about pastors like myself. He's talking about people in the community of faith who are investing in you, who are praying for you, who are giving you a phone call, who are texting you, who are asking you, hey, how are you doing? He's saying, pay attention to that. Pay attention to those who are helping you and and, and guiding you. Esteem them highly. In other words, I'm going to say this. Prefer those relationships. And that doesn't mean that you despise the others. It means that, oh, this this is somebody who is building my faith. This is someone who's investing in me. That's what I want more in my life. He continues. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. In other words, if you see somebody who's idle, they lack motivation, Get some fire. Light light a fire under them. Motivate them. Encourage them. If If you see somebody who's hopeless, give them some encouragement. If you see somebody who's weak, lift them up and have patience with them. Love them patiently. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. This is a primary Christian idea. Before Christ, it was eye for an eye. But Christ comes and sets the record straight and says, listen, people are evil to you. Don't be evil back. That's your part. Do not repay evil for evil. But always seek to do good to one another and to everyone, including the people on the comment section. Yes, Lord, it's hard. Verse 16, rejoice always. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. All day, under your breath, Lord, thank you. God, I offer the situation before you. Lord, I don't know what to do here. Will you come into the situation? God, I need your guidance. Lord, bless my husband, bless my wife. God, thank you for your provision. Thank you for this job. My boss is getting on my nerves. Bless him, Lord. This co-worker, I can't deal with them. Help me, Jesus. This person I'm overseeing, I don't want to have to fire them, Lord. Give me wisdom. 
Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, to be grateful. Gratitude changes things. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast to what's good. And then he summarizes this. And I, I got to tell you, like all of these are things that we should do in 2021 and 2023. Wow. <laughs> Whew. All of these, <laughs> a, little, a little brain fat flatulence. <laughs> all these are things that we should do in 2023. Time comes at you fast. But this next one sentence it's something that I just want you to focus on in the next 21 days, especially. Do all of this in these 21 days of prayer, right? If you need to uh, read the scripture over and over again, 1 Thessalonians 5, just do it. But this verse 2022 is the one that I want you to hold close to your heart. Here's what he says. Abstain from every form of evil. Just, just abstain from every form of evil, man. And for some of you, there's some websites that you should not go into. There's certain people that you should not text because it's going to lead to heartache. There's certain conversations that you should not have. There's certain situations that you have to walk away from. Abstain from every form of evil. That's your part. That's on you. And after we've done our part, after we present ourselves to God in faith, this is what happens. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. It is he who sanctifies us. He's the one who sanctifies us and purifies us. What is he going to sanctify? He's going to make your whole spirit and your soul and your body be kept blameless. Don't you want to live like that? Live a life where you... You carry no shame and you carry no guilt, but you are free and you're living free and you're living blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely... Can you finish that? He will surely... He will surely... Thank you, Simon. I thought it was on the screen. <laughs> he who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. Listen, when you place your life in God's hands and you act according to his will and you do your part, he will sanctify you. And that's when you will begin to move mountains. Do you receive it this morning? Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you have a prayer request, a question about faith, or would like to find out more information on Connect Community, visit us at connectcommunity.org. Don't forget to subscribe and share. See you next time.